Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, and this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. I'm joined today with Dr. Petros Brasvainatos for a conversation about the medieval Byzantine physician, John Actuarius, who lived in the 13th and 14th centuries in Constantinople. In the conversation, we're going to speak more about what the environment was like in the Byzantine Empire around this period of time in terms of medicine and healthcare. We're going to talk about John's life, including his medical practices. And at some point in the conversation, I'm going to ask Dr. Barasvainados what some of the major contributions John Actuarius's work had on the field of medicine. Dr. Barasvainados is Welcome Trust Lecturer in History of Medicine, the University of Edinburgh, based in Scotland. He specializes in the medieval Mediterranean with a special focus on the history of medicine. He's the author of the book, Innovation in Byzantine Medicine, the writings of John Zacharias Actuarius, circa 1275 to circa 1330, which was published by Oxford University Press. And he's also an editor of the book, Brill's Companion to the Reception of Galen, which was eponymously published by Brill. Welcome to call, Petros. Hello, Andrew. Thank you for the invitation. So let's start with uh, a little bit of background on John Actuarius. Um, and can I can I use the name John Actuarius as a as a as a as a name as a as a contemporary name for him? Yes, yes, please use uh, the name John Actuarius. Absolutely fine. Okay, so can you summarize uh, more at a high level? who John Actuarius is, and then we'll get more into some, some details in the conversation. Yes. Uh, John was born around 1275 in Constantinople, uh, the capital of the Byzantine Empire. He was a very well-educated practicing physician and uh, a prominent also member of uh, the late Byzantine intellectual elite. Uh, we know that he frequented the highest social and scholarly circles um, and he was in contact with prominent individuals uh, like uh, Theodore Metohitis, um, who was something like prime minister in Byzantium at that point, and also Alexios Apokavkos. Um, and in close communication and correspondence with other important intellectuals like Joseph the Philosopher, George Lacapinos, and Michael Gavras. An important point which I would like to mention is that his impact as a well-established and um, successful physician received formal uh, recognition from the Byzantine Emperor, Andronicus II, who appointed him to the office of actuarius. So um, this, is, uh, this was the highest honorific title awarded to physicians in late Byzantium. So in order to be uh, more specific uh, regarding his name, his first name was John, his surname Zacharias, and um, the honorific office um, um, is actuarius. And usually, Actuarius uh, is placed after his surname as a sort of convention because uh, he was mostly known as John Actuarius um, from the Renaissance onwards. 
So um, it is better uh, to use uh, it is it is it's equal either to use um, John Zacharias or John Actuarius to refer to him. That was a gr- great answer, and you've you've laid uh, a nice context for the conversation. Um, so before we get into more of the details about his life and writings, um, can you share what medicine and healthcare was like? kind of leading up to his life in Byzantium. Yes. Uh, firstly, I would like to mention that uh, Byzantium, um, it's well known that had the longest continuous existence of any state in European history. So linking antiquity with the early modern period. However, Byzantine medicine um, is largely absent uh, from any mainstream discussions and is one um, of those very little known and in most cases misinter- mis- misrepresented, uh, let's say, field. Um, not only in the wider um, debates of medieval medicine, but also even among uh, Byzantines themselves. So it is, it is often viewed as stagnant or um, uh, as uh, just preserving ancient ideas without any kind of innovations or um, original observations. Um, I would like um, now to to focus more um, uh, to the practice of medicine to give to give a sort of background mm-hmm. uh, in the middle and, and late Byzantine period. Let's say from uh, the tenth to the fifteenth century. Please. Um, uh, yes. Um, as we know, in the Middle Ages, there were various approaches of healing. Um, of course, um, the, main, the so-called mainstream or rational medicine was based on um, the understanding of the human body according to the theory of humors. So um, following the ancient Hippocratic theory, Byzantine medical authors believed that the body was made of blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. And each humor was connected with a particular season. Two of the and two of the four primary qualities. To give an example, a blood was a dominant humor in spring and was marked by the hot and moist quality. So every disease, every every abnormal um, uh, every abnormality connected to the body was related um, was the result of an excess. Of, of an oxious humor, of a humor, or a combination of them. And this is called in Greek dyscrasia. So it's a bad crisis, a bad mixture. So a physician was supposed to be able to counterbalance um, the humors, the qualities in the human body by prescribing either an appropriate diet or um, uh, through the administration of medicines or um, uh, with various uh, techniques of um, bloodletting, thus restoring uh, the patient to health, what is called efkrasia, so a good mixture. So I, I briefly refer to, to the three most important therapeutic approaches in rational medicine, diet, pharmacology, and surgery. I can give more details if you like about this, but um, 
uh, I think that at this point it would be important to say that at the same time, we can see other healing approaches in Byzantium. Uh, we can call these alternative uh, approaches. So uh, we have um, some accounts telling us that patients who were disappointed by rational medicine turned to find um, a proper treatment um, 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 through miraculous healing, for example. We know that uh, they used to visit, for example, uh, uh, temples. And uh, in the temples, um, the practice of incubation was uh, quite popular. Uh, this is a religious practice of sleeping in a sacred area with the intention of experiencing um, a, a divinely inspired dream. It goes back to Asclepius in the ancient time, but it was also very popular in Christian temples. Also, um, um, Christians uh, used various holy oils or holy waters uh, that were produced uh, by churches uh, for this purpose. And apart from uh, this kind of religious healing, there are other approaches like uh, magic. We can see the white, um, the white um, 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 use of magic uh, spells and um, incantations and also uh, the use of amulets. And another, um, another kind of healing was mm -hmm. what is called um, astro astrological medicine, um, where um, various parts of the human body and also various humors were connected with specific stars. And then uh, the movement of stars and various observations could be uh, related to uh, the health and its restoration. Okay, so I want to, uh, that's a great, great answer. And you've created some very nice uh, context for what's going on with medicine in this in this period of time. A point of clarification with the uh, hummus. So were, they, were physicians looking at the actual color of, of bile, for instance? Is that what was happening? Yes, the actual color, color of humors um, was important, but it was not always uh, possible to identify uh, the color of humors. I mean, um, the most important diagnostic tools uh, in the Byzantine uh, era uh, were uroscopy and uh, also thus the examination of urines and also the examination of pulse. Through the examination of urines, sometimes, mm -hmm. Uh, they, they, they were able to identify the color of, um, um, of, of urine through observation and thus uh, to relate this with um, a, an excess of a particular humor. Um, also, uh, they, they also examine excrements quite often. And again, uh, but there were other, um, other, other ways to identify the excess of qualities and thus humors through specific observations of the pulse. And also um, in Byzantium, they use also uh, to identify, I mean, to examine also the venesected blood. So when the blood was venesected, it was examined and various observations of the blood uh, led the physicians to identify specific conditions and diseases. 
So yes, it, the color was important, but was not always uh, able, physicians were not always able to identify the color of specific humors through uh, the examination of urines. Okay. And physicians, did, did they exist as a profession at this point? Did they consider themselves prof uh, physicians? Well, that's a very good question. Um, uh, we can see um, various, uh, if I can say, various, um, various uh, levels of expertise among physicians. For example, we know uh, that uh, there were well-educated physicians who most probably studied medicine. Um, we are not aware of specific school of medicine in Byzantium, in middle and late Byzantium, although we have evidence for the early period. So we're aware of the so-called late antique uh, school of Alexandria in the 6th and 7th centuries AD. Okay. But in the middle and late period, um, we have evidence that physicians, after having attended some um, sort, some 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 lectures of, um, of philosophy, uh, what is called advanced advanced educational studies, they most probably followed another circle of of, of teaching on medicine that was offered in in, in, in the form of private tutorials by um, a master by uh, an experienced physician. And there is also some evidence that there was a process of license, medical license. Um, and um, uh, there is also some evidence that some physicians um, um, were taught medicine in the framework of hospitals. So they practiced uh, in hospitals as uh, training physicians. Now, apart from these well-educated physicians um, that was a minority, and most probably they had to travel to Constantinople to receive this kind of education. We have other physicians who learned medicine through what we call nowadays apprenticeship. So they followed a master very closely, and they learned the profession by um, practicing together with um, an experienced doctor. And also there are other kinds of 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 of, of practitioners um, that we can call them healers. So um, experienced um, healers who used to treat by use of what we can call um, folk practices. So um, um, by, for example, the use of amulets or um, um, treatment through uh, the use of uh, well-known uh, herbs that they could easily find even in the countryside. So um, the educated physicians uh, were a minority. Okay, so this um, is a good segue to, to, to a question that's kind of rattling in my, my mind then as we're distinguishing some things. With physicians in this period of time, was there ever a separation from, so their practice, was there ever a separation from uh, religion, astrology, uh, the practice of uh, various rituals, uh, perhaps magic. Was there was there ever with physicians leading up to like in this time period leading up to John's life? Was there ever a separation, or in in all cases to your knowledge, there's 
there's the, the the lines are are blurry and at one time someone's practicing let's say astrology another time they're practicing some um you know something that it has religious sacraments to it etc yes i mean uh, i think that in most cases in medieval medicine um there were no um uh, strict boundaries it's quite anachronistic um, uh, to see uh, practice of medicine this way. Uh, so, uh, for example, we know uh, of a Byzantine physician in the 15th century, John Farran, who was uh, most probably uh, the, the owner of a vast um, manuscript, medical manuscript, which is now in Bologna, is the manuscript 3632. 15th century manuscript and in this manuscript apart from uh, details about um, the practice of Russian medicine humoral medicine we can see we can often see uh, magical treatises and um, astro astro um, astrological uh, medicine and also um, other um, less uh, I mean let me say more irrational approaches of healing so uh, the boundaries were not very strict and um, some even educated physicians um, could uh, have recommended the use of amulets for example or um, some less uh, rational uh, approaches okay all right so we we probably for the sake of time sufficiently created background and context um for for medicine in this period so we're we're coming up to john's life then what's known about his parents if anything, very few, very few information, almost nothing about his parents. Okay. We know that he, his family was from Ceres, so um, a city in northern Greece, and mm-hmm. uh, that he either moved uh, to Constantinople when he was um, um, in, in, when, in his early years of his life, or that, that his parents uh, were moved to Constantinople and he was born there. But we don't really have any more details about uh, his ancestry. Was he technically trained as a physician? Yes, yes. Um, um, we know that he um, attended, um, he was um, closely related with uh, the pupils of Maximus Planudis in Constantinople. He was a very famous teacher in late 13th century Constantinople, mm-hmm. perhaps the most famous one, um, a polymath. And um, he most probably uh, followed um, Plan- Planudis' uh, tutorials on uh, philosophy, um, astronomy, and other subjects. And um, although he reports in some letters that he sent to his friends that he attended uh, lecture specifically on medicine, we don't have information about um, his teacher or the formal context of these lectures, but he studied medicine in Constantinople and we know that he also uh, gave some exams um, in order to receive a sort of license uh, and um, of medicine and uh, thus in order to be able to practice. Okay. What languages... Uh do scholars know that he did know? Yes, he know. I mean, he, he spoke, of course, Greek, um, Byzantine Greek, and he wrote uh, in Greek his works. Uh, his Greek is uh, not very simple, is not vernacular Greek. It's um, the Greek that was spoken by the intellectual elite of the period. 
and uh, it is uh, often quite um, um, complicated to understand uh, this language because um, they, 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 they used many um, terms that were um, Attic, so there is a revival of Attic language, of um, ancient uh, Greek language in this period, and we can see that uh, John sometimes used these expressions in uh, the poems of his works, I think, in order to show to his contemporaries that he's able to, to reach even the most um, educated uh, audiences of, of, of the period, and also to show his uh, very well um, um, background and uh, his uh, education. It, I mean, the, the, the Attic, the arrival of Attic was very important. It was used as a sort of um, social left between those individuals. So uh, it was a kind of dialect, but it was only um, most probably um, um, in order to be written, not to be spoken. Are there any remnants in writings, whether what he wrote or someone else wrote about his religious orientation? Yes, he was, uh, we know uh, from some references to his work that he was most probably, he was Christian, Orthodox Christian, uh, the main um, religion um, during that period in Byzantium. And I mean, um, he, there are several invocations uh, to the Christian God in his works at the beginning, usually at the end, something which was quite usual during that period. And also there is um, one anecdote in one of his case histories in which uh, he uh, reports the clinical condition of one of his patients. He confirms that he attended um, a sort of a Christian festival in the countryside. Would he be considered a general physician, a physician can, can work on many different things. Was he considered a general physician or did he specialize in anything specifically? I think that uh, he could be considered a general physician um, uh, that uh, was practicing um, um, and uh, treated um, um, all the patients. Uh, we, we don't have evidence in his works whether he practiced uh, surgery or not. I mean, I mean invasive surgery, not, uh, we know that he practiced uh, phlebotomy or venesection, I mean, cutting of veins or vessels, but um, we don't have evidence about, um, for example, hernia surgery, which was extremely common in Byzantium. And um, it is most probably accepted nowadays that uh, during the ancient and the medieval times, um, surgery was um, practiced by specialists, uh, what uh, they called um, um, surgeons. And um, in one of, of the surviving documents uh, that um, refer to the faction of a Byzantine hospital in Constantinople, the hospital of Pantocrator, um, there is um, there are a lot of information about uh, the physicians that practice there, and also among them there is a hernia specialist, which confirms that surgery uh, was practiced most probably by specialists. Okay, um, do you get any sense in evidence or? or if, if you need to interpret it, please do so and just mention what's interpreted. Um, 
his practice. So did he have an office? Were people coming to see him? Can you can you paint the picture uh, for us about that? Yes, um, in, John wrote three works, and um, the 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 first work that he wrote is called on urines. It's a long euroscopic treatise. It's the longest surviving medieval, actually, including all the medieval traditions, Jewish, um, Arabic, Latin. So this is the longest um, surviving one. In this, uh, John, apart from uh, several um, original observations uh, that he made in the field of euroscopy, he also uh, refers to his patients. He has included 11 case histories in which he reports, um, he gives uh, sort of diagnosis and prognosis for, for his patients and also the treatment that he followed. So there we can see that he uses um, the term iatreion, so um, something which could be translated as surgery in, in, in Greek, so uh, which defines the working place of a physician. We are not uh, certain whether this refers to a particular to a private space, I mean, um, mm-hmm. a private uh, physician office, or whether uh, this could be allocated to a Byzantine hospital. Mm-hmm. We know, however, we know that there um, were Byzantine active Byzantine hospitals during the early 14th century. Uh, so perhaps John um, was practicing there, or at the same time. He also uh, had his own private space where he, uh, where patients uh, visited him. Is there anything and in the excuse re- me? Can, can I say on? Please. We know also that uh, we we are aware of several house calls, so that he visited himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he visited patients at their homes to treat them. Yes. Yep. Okay. So may may have had a practice, maybe. Um, there's the hospital, pro- probably, and uh, and there's some reference of house calls as well. Yes. Um, you mentioned Manuel II uh, reigned, right, during his life? was. Can you repeat who the Byzantine emperor was? Andronicus is the name, Andronicus. Okay, so I, I heard that incorrectly. Um, is there any record of uh, John treating the royal family? No, there is no surviving evidence about this. Uh, but we know that um, he treated um, important uh, intellectuals and um, some of his friends were also important intellectuals, like Joseph the philosopher. But we don't have evidence about this, no. Okay. Can you uh, share what some of his major contributions and or discoveries were? Yes. In, in this work on urines um, that I referred to, um, John systematized the knowledge on the subject. And this is very important because uroscopy was the leading diagnostic and prognostic technique in the Middle Ages. Um, I mean, the urine vial became the insignia of physicians in the Middle Ages. We can see a lot of depictions of physicians um, holding the urine flask in manuscripts, uh, everywhere in works of art. So um, John, um, by writing such a specialized long treatise on this subject, managed to elevate uroscopy to equal status with the study of the past. Because, I mean, for the study of the past, we had already long works um, um, 
uh, from the ancient times, Yelling Road Road works on, on the path. Now, John um, um, provided um, original observations uh, for the identification of the different kind of colors of urine. And color was a very important index for um, diagnosing and prognosticating the disease because um, it was used as a uh, digestive index and digestion was very important also in order to understand um, the humoral imbalance. So it was connected with humors. And perhaps his most important um, uh, contribution was introduction of a graduated urine vial uh, which was um, um, divided into 11 areas. And uh, each of uh, these 11 subdivisions uh, were um, uh, connected with uh, parts of the human body. This was an idea that was first introduced, uh, most probably by Salernitan scholars in Southern Italy in the 12th century. But in John, we can see that it was um, developed and um, I mean, John became extremely well-known uh, because of this um, graduated urine vial in the later centuries. I mean, we can see um, uh, the reception of this urine vial in works of uh, European physicians in the 15th, 16th, 17th century, um, even, uh, even in, in England or, or Wales, in Germany, in Italy, through... Um, Latin translations of his works that um, uh, were prepared in the early 16th century. Now, apart from this, um, but I would like to mention also uh, the other two works, important works of John. Mm -hmm. So the second uh, most important work, and this is also the longest uh, work of John, is the so-called medical epitome. So this is um, uh, a work uh, which includes uh, details about diagnosis and treatment of uh, the vast majority of known diseases at this point. And it is divided into six books. It was written for uh, Alexis Apokavkos, an important Byzantine statesman, who um, was considered a philiatrist, so a friend of medicine, not a physician himself, but someone who uh, would like to acquire in, uh, information on medicine in order to be able to practice himself, I mean, in, 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 in urgent uh, circumstances, like in a trip or in case that he would like to judge on whether, um, uh, among, in cases that he would like to judge whether um, uh, the physician, the, the view of one physician was better compared to the other. And um, in this particular work, we can see that uh, John paid, um, uh, paid particular attention to differential diagnosis, especially on eye diseases. So he provided a lot of information for the identification between different uh, eye conditions. Mm -hmm. And perhaps his most important contribution in this work is that we can see the first amalgamation of Greek and Byzantine knowledge on pharmacology with introduced knowledge of Arabic pharmacology. So uh, Arabic pharmacology was particularly popular from the 11th century onwards in the Middle Ages. 
the Arabic medical works were translated into Latin and into Greek. And um, I think that um, the, the, the inclusion of Arabic pharmacological knowledge in John's work is very important. And he promoted the use of these Arabic innovations in, in pharmacology because uh, John was uh, a particularly well-educated physician with a certain status. Apart from these two works, he wrote also a work on psychic pneuma. So um, uh, this is um, a work in two books in which he um, tries to explain how um, uh, the so-called psychic pneuma, which is uh, pneuma, was um, the inhaled air, which was elaborated through various processes in the human body, and then um, it was used as a vehicle um, um, for uh, various um, um, various oper uh, various functions of the human body, like um, uh, nerves and um, other physiological um, processes. But what is important is that um, John identified psychic pneuma as the vehicle and first instrument of the soul. And um, um, he tried to show that through an appropriate regimen, someone was able to keep both his bodily and spiritual health in good condition. So uh, in this work, we can see um, a sort of um, medieval psychotherapeutic regimen um, uh, which um, um, could be um, applied to all uh, contemporary, um, I mean, patients and other, other people, and also consider uh, various important particularities, for example, um, in terms of providing advice on diet, um, he uh, paid particular attention to um, fast because we know that fasting was uh, particularly popular among Orthodox. And when he recommended uh, various kinds of foodstuffs, um, he was very careful of um, providing specific information on how someone can um, replace certain foodstuffs in certain periods that. Um, they uh, could not consume this. Okay. And so to link um, one of the items that you said there to something that someone can relate to that's a non-specialist, let's take the urine vial, for, for instance, his work in that area. Can you describe in more basic terms um, how that contributed to healthcare, that invention? Yes. Uh, until then, um, the urine vial was uh, divided into three areas. So um, the the bottom was called um, sediment. Then someone uh, could find the suspended parts, and at the top of of the vial, um, uh, the the area was described as clouds. Now, John, by introducing um, the theory, the notion of analogies between parts of the human body with areas in the vial in Byzantium, uh, he also introduced a more detailed uh, uh, version of the vial 
So physicians were able to um, better define uh, the boundaries between the different areas. Mm. And um, we can see about the importance of this uh, technique in, in, in John's works because he uh, mentions uh, these analogies in his case histories. So um, in his real encounters with patients where he used to um, refer to how helpful it was and that, for example, uh, diseases of, of, of the head were connected with uh, his observations uh, at the upper part of the urine vial. Um, I, I know that this sounds uh, a bit strange um, in terms of modern uh, understanding of medicine, but we have to realize that in the Middle Ages, uh, there is an absence, total absence, lack of microscopic techniques. And so uh, they could only um, 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 examine the urines macroscopically. So they, they were only able to look at these various particles that were found there and identify um, um, various characteristics that were connected with diseases. So he did a very important contribution in the diagnosis of disease through this uh, introduction. And also um, in, in terms of um, uh, his theory on the various color of, of, of the urines, he provides extra information on the uh, identification of uh, color, colors that um, uh, might be similar. And for example, he, um, in terms of identifying between various color, various uh, versions of uh, shades of the yellow, um, he tried to connect um, the various shades with um, um, the color of specific plants, for example, saffron or um, other, other plants. So he gave tangible examples from um, daily life uh, that would be uh, very easily uh, understood by physicians in practicing and identifying uh, various urinary colors. In, in doing this research on John, did you get any sense that, and um, some of the things you mentioned earlier in the episode, the practice of religion, magic, astrology, any of those kind of things, did, do you think that that influences work at all? Or when you look at, at uh, uh, John as a past physician, you, would you call him very secular? Yes, yes, I think that he was very secular. Um, in his work, we cannot find details of, um, of uh, folk, folk uh, medicine or occult uh, sciences. Compared to other educated physicians, uh, I mean, we have the, the example of the 6th century um, physician um, that's called Alexander of Tralis. Uh, we know that he was uh, very well educated because, I mean, he wrote long works on, uh, on medicine. And in these works that we can clearly see that he follows the Hippocratic Galenic model, he often refers to the use of amulets or um, incantations and other uh, kinds of alternative therapeutic practices. But this is not the case uh, with John. Okay. 
Is there anything in the archives about uh, him being married, having children, any any information on his family life in that regard? No, we have no information, unfortunately, about his family. Okay. I was wondering if any of his children went on to be a physician as well. <laughs> yes, we have evidence for other physicians. Uh, and um, we know that uh, it was uh, quite often a family profession, but uh, mm -hmm. like I... I mean, the, the example I gave on Alexander of Kral is that we know that his father was also a physician. But no, for John, we don't have information about his family, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, closing question. How do you think John Actuarius should best be remembered? I think that he uh, should be remembered as uh, the most important Byzantine uh, medical author and a very uh, successful practicing physician and also uh, as um, um, an innovator in the field of uh, uroscopy. Okay. It's been enjoyable speaking with you today, Petros. You have a tremendous amount of knowledge on this topic and on the history of medicine in this, uh, in this area and, and time. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you very much, Andrew. So again, everybody, the couple books that I mentioned at the start of the episode, Dr. Baras Vinatos is author of the book Innovation in Byzantine Medicine, the writings of John Zacharias Actuarius, circa 1275 to circa 1330. He's also an editor of Brill's Companion to the Reception of Galen. I'll drop links to both the books in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Petros and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.